This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Side for Crabtree, it's caught. Oh, he plays. Oh, 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 he's the worst. Oh, What's he up the right sideline? Yeah, he's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Welcome, everyone, to the Republic of Football Sunday Recap Edition. I am your host, Ishmael Johnson, joined always by Mike Craven and Mallory Hartley. Mallory, in the uh, great state of Tennessee, I believe, right now. Uh, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm doing well. Tennessee's great, uh, but I miss Texas for sure. Excited to come back. <laughs> yeah, you're coming back pretty soon. So, yes. uh, Mike, uh, from Undisclosed Location in Central Texas, how are you, man? <laughs> pretty good. Finishing up all the all the backpacking and all that kind of stuff. Move yeah. up the week from today. The big move awesome. coming up, man. Can't wait to I have you up here. Yeah, I know he's uh, he's kind of dreading that secretly, but it's okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's secretly. <laughs> Very openly dreading that. Fine, I'll rephrase that. Uh, but there's another big move you could be making towards the end of the season, which is out to El Paso, hopefully for a game out there. We'll see. Because we're going to start off. UTEP is bowl eligible, 19-3 over Louisiana Tech. Miners are going bowling 6-1 and one for the first time since 2005, bowling for the first time since 2014. I think the difference between these two, th- this team and those teams is that I think Jameel Showers, Aaron Jones, and Will Hernandez were on those teams. So like three NFL caliber players were kind of carrying the bulk of the load of that team. And this one seems to be more of a top to bottom roster we'll get into the game in a little bit but i do just kind of want to hint on what they've accomplished because dana demel heading into the year i was skeptical about what they had going there it didn't seem like i really knew what they were doing on offense it really seemed like they were just kind of hitting big plays here and there and just kind of flying by the seat of their pants and and just kind of and eh, we'll see what happens i didn't know about what they were in terms of a roster there they had uh they fired both their coordinators at the end of last year they hired kind of uninspiring names to the to the casual fan to replace them and then all they've done is gone 6 and 1 and they've won the games they needed to win and now obviously the the hard part of their schedule is coming up but for now they they did the hard part in terms of getting bowl eligible through the winnable games in their schedule mike what do you you know what looking at utep as a whole right now before we get into the game uh, what what is your what are your thoughts on what what Dimmel's done you know and so far in the year? The thing that struck me the most is that he has a tangible plan. Mm-hmm. You can look at that roster, you can look at the scheme, you can look at how they're trying to play, and know what the identity of UTEP football is. You know they're going to be a hard nose. They're going to try to run the ball. They're going to play really good defense. They're going to not make as many mistakes. Um, they're going to get JUCO guys. They're going to look for some underrated, you know, recruits out of, you know, West Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. There's a blueprint there. And for a long time over under previous staffs, I don't know if we had a real blueprint that we could go, okay, this is what UTEP is trying to do. Cause it's a hard place to win. It's a very unique place mm-hmm. um, to try to win at the G5 level. And so I think to me, the most impressive thing is that demo came in and you can tell he had a game plan. He's stuck with it. And we're starting to see the fruits of that labor. 
And then winning is just contagious. You start winning some football games. You start having some belief. Things go well. And the players start going, hey, look, what the coaches, what they're saying is coming to fruition. Like we're seeing them coaching on Wednesday and we're seeing it work on Saturday. That adds a whole new level of belief within that locker room. And, and we're seeing a football team that's moving all in a singular direction. And it's been seven, eight, nine years since we've seen that in El Paso. Yeah. I think that uh, Chris Vanini wrote an article for The Athletic about this, how he's very much Kansas stated UTEP. And obviously it makes sense where from where he was coaching under Bill Snyder, but you, it's a good point that, you know, it's a very unique job. And I don't mean this in a slight against El Paso because, you know, it's a great city and it's a great community and UTEP's a great program, uh, but it is like a very un-Texan Texas program, right? It's so far away that you can't, what I mean by that is recruiting wise, you can't just say, oh, it's a Texas job, recruit Texas players, you're good to go, right? It's so far away that it's hard for people in inner city, Austin, Houston, Dallas, to really make that recruiting trip sometimes. And they want to play closer to home. So they'll play at a Rice, at a Houston, at a, a Louisiana Tech even to stay closer to home and stay around the region. And if, you, if they want to play college ball eight hours away, they'll go to another program probably that doesn't that when they don't really care about going home, right? They'll play for a Nevada or something like that. And so you do get the opportunity to go to New Mexico, Arizona, and you don't have to rely on just Texas players. And he's done that really well, right? Jacob Cowing is from Arizona, I believe. Um, and he's, he's getting those players. And he, the only real quote unquote job you have to do in, to me in terms of recruiting for UTEP is keeping good El Paso talent in El Paso, which he's doing. Uh, I think Aaron Dumas was the one that kind of got away with to New Mexico, but for the most part, he's doing that. And now looking at the game, this is a t- like this wasn't a, a pretty game, right? They turned the ball over four times, but I think what and there's still some questions I have about the team. Like you mentioned, it they're going to try to run the ball. They're not really that good at it, but it doesn't really matter because their defense is legitimately good. I think their defense is incredible. Louisiana Tech's offense we've talked about is really good. Had chance after chance after chance. You know, I mentioned they turned the ball over four times. Uh, UTEP's offense did, and La Tech couldn't get anything, and. Again, I have questions about what their plan A is on offense, but the the counter to that is they have the big play wide receivers to just say, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, there, I think Chris Vanini threw out a stat was there is easily there is uh, uh, as likely to rush for a ten yard carry as they are for a no no game, right? They are a boom or bust offense, and when you have a defense as stout as what they are as what they have been, you can live with that. And you can kind of figure out how they've won these games. We're going to see really what they're made of in the next couple of weeks, which I'm really, really intrigued. But for now, that doesn't matter. They're six and one. They're bowl eligible. Hopefully they can host a game in the Sun Bowl. You know, we'll see what they, where their bowl uh, uh, future lies. But, you know, it's, it's worked up to now. And I'm going to save all my questions for when we have to talk about those games because it's a really cool moment for that program. I mean, four sacks. They had three interceptions. Um, so this defense played really great complimentary football. You know, yeah. you're not always going to have a great game for your offense. One of your units is going to struggle occasionally. Louisiana Tech scored 30-plus points against Mississippi State and SMU. This is a team that can score points. They scored three after getting four turnovers defensively. I mean, that's that's incredible. It looks like a misprint. So it's just a team playing really hard. 
And when you're a football team playing really hard at a level where the talent gaps aren't huge, we're not talking about Texas compared to Kansas here. You know, the difference between Louisiana Tech talent and UTEP talent isn't a huge gulf. It comes down to coaching, execution, and want to. And UTEP, UTEP is doing all of those things at a, at a level that we haven't seen in a long, long time there. Right. Moving on, uh, speaking of talent discrepancies, uh, I do want to st- UTSA 45, Rice 0. I want to stick with UTSA for the headline section because, as Mike pointed out before we started recording, this is the coaches poll now. We're going to keep a tab on the AP poll uh, during the show. Hopefully they drop it sometime during the show. We'll talk about it then. UTSA ranked in the coaches poll, which I think is a great indication because the coaches poll is typically one of the more stout, uh, uh, stingy voters because it's obviously the coaches. Um, they're not necessarily paying attention to everything going on in the country. So UTSA comes in the coaches poll 25th, first time ranked ever. Hopefully we're talking about first time AP poll ranked ever soon, very, uh, very soon. But again, we'll keep tabs on that. 45, nothing over rice. I mean, I don't know what else I can say. What else more I can say about this program. We'll talk about rice and kind of my issues kind of with what, you know, how they kind of matched up against UTSA, but I'm choosing to focus on how UTSA has just learned to pummel teams this year and absolutely leave no doubt that they are one of the best group of five programs in the country this year. Yeah. I mean, yesterday defensively, they scored two touchdowns on their own. They only allowed 102 yards total to rice, you know, coming into this year, they had never shut out a team ever in the history of UTSA, you know, football. They've done it twice this year, seven and zero for the first time, you know, Hey, they were six and zero for the first time. So every win, yeah, on top of that is, is a new record to just go back to where this program was at this time in 2019 to where it is now, especially given that we had a pandemic year in the middle where a new coach couldn't even use a spring or really even a summer. Um, the steps that this program has made is ridiculous. And it, and it goes back to my point that the talent gap isn't that big when you get to like the conference USA level, you know, mm-hmm. a, a new coach, and some renewed energy and a little bit of belief in the locker room can turn you into a program that's kind of plateauing and not knowing where the next step is to seven and zero, almost getting 30,000 people in the Alamo dome being ranked. I, I, I see people nationally talking about UTSA on Twitter that I've never seen talk about UTSA on Twitter. Um, so I don't think there's a, enough good words we could really put towards Jeff trailer, that staff, And like we talked about last week, just the city of San Antonio. I think this is a really big moment for football in the city, not just Mm -hmm. UTSA, but just for the city in general. And uh, it's cool to watch. It's cool. San Antonio is a huge city. To have another big city, another big market like that, really enthusiastic about college football can only help this state grow its legend as a football status state. Yeah. I think that another another thing I want to hint on is – the athletic director hires that they've made, right? When they were going up, they made, it was Lynn Hickey. And then after Lynn Hickey left, it was Lisa Campos. Two incredible jobs that, especially Lisa Campos, were a relative unknown hire, right? I think she came from Northern Arizona, I believe. Um, And after the job that Lynn Hickey did in terms of just getting the program off its feet with, uh, in football, bringing it up to FBS, Lisa Campos took this and just ran with it, right? She nailed her first hire out of the gate. And again, not a, not a sexy hire. It, well, Jeff Trailer wasn't a, we like him, obviously, but he was coming back from uh, 
kind of a iffy stint with Texas at the end of uh, uh, Charlie Strong's tenure, a kind of an average stint at SMU, and then a terrible stint, not his fault, obviously, but a terrible stint at Arkansas under Chad Morris. And she said, no, no, this is the guy that I want to bring in and take this program to the next level. And she's nailed that hire. She's nailed the facilities and everything. So obviously Jeff Trailer is kind of the architect of that, but the overseer, Lisa Campos, I do want to give some credit to her as well, because she entrusted a guy who's even as he took over a program, his greatest benefit was winning state titles with Gilmer, right? His greatest like accomplishment. And it takes a lot to say like, yes, take our division one football team and do what you did in four, a three, a Gilmer <laughs> and do that here. And he did that. And Again, like how quickly they've progressed from, oh man, this team's pretty good last year, right? It's like, oh, this is pretty, this is a pretty cool story to drilling teams like Rice, who we were decently optimistic about heading into the year, drilling teams and positioning themselves to be hopefully AP poll ranked in more or less a year and a half. I'm not even going to say two years, right? He has not been on the job, quote unquote, for two years. He did not have a spring. I'm not counting that. So more or less a year and a half is basically unprecedented, including when the fact that if he did this at Texas State, if he did this at Rice or anywhere else, it'd be one, it, we'd still be talking about it. But the fact that there, it's a program that's not 10 years D1 yet. So, you know, it, it's, it's even, I don't know, it's even more unprecedented in that fashion. So Roadrunners still undefeated, just insane to think about. Again, they got some uh, tough uh, portions of their schedule coming up, but for now, they're checking every single box. I mean, literally every single box. And they're still recruiting as an elite program. So I don't know. It's been, yeah. It'll be so fun to see them play UTEP in a couple of weeks. That's nuts to say. I can't like uh, right? say, I can't I can't wait think. for the UTSA UTEP game. That's nuts. <laughs> 13 and one. They're a combined 13 and one. Uh, UTSA ranked Texas is not, you know, so a big, a big day for the University of Texas. <laughs> Uh, school system yep. you know your point about campus and trailer i think is a good one because it shows that sometimes not having a lot of money uh, forces you to make smart hires instead of expensive hires you know sure. uh, if you're at texas you're at texas a&m you have to make splash hires we hear that you know all the time you got to make a splash hire you got to make a splash hire. well when you don't have a lot of money you got to make the right hire yep. and you know they they had to get a little creative and go outside of the box and, and sometimes all people need is a chance and i think you've seen that with campus and trailer where you know, maybe a bigger program with more money goes, well, we can't hire those because, you know, they're not going to make the splash. We got money to spend. We need to make our boosters happy. At, at UTSA, there's not a lot of that. You know, it was started in 1969. There's not a ton of money boosters, you know, there anyway. And so uh, I think they made the right hires instead of expensive hires. And it's it's uh, paying off now. And uh, if you're a UTSA fan, you just got to enjoy it. Don't look too far ahead because it, it gets, it gets kind of sad if you start thinking about, uh, what the success is going to mean in terms of like Jeff Trailer's future and stuff like that. But sure. just enjoy it now because, um, you know, when you're a school like UTSA, this this isn't supposed to happen very often. Right. I do want to look back. It's, it's funny looking back in the 2019, um, uh, 2019 coaching search because I do want to bring up two stories here. Uh, just to show you where this hire was or kind of uh, what where Jeff Trailer's unfortunately his reputation obviously with Arkansas kind of took a hit. And so here's a, here's a story from CBS 19, Jeff trailer to interview for Lamar head coaching vacancy, right? This is December of 2019. This is literally 
just before he was hired at UTSA. And then also from Football Scoop, the names that were circulating, you mentioned it, right? It, it, people, people wanted to splash higher. And the names that were there, Major Applewhite, Chad Morris, Pete Golding, the names were like for the quote unquote splash hire. Ooh, save an assistant who was, you know, a coach who was defensive coordinator under Frank Wilson. Cool. Major Applewhite. Oh, yeah, that'd be a splash hire. Uh, Chad Morris didn't work out, but it'd be a splash hire. She chose the guy that interviewed for Lamar, <laughs> right? And I don't know, it, like you mentioned, it takes smart people to make smart decisions, and money plays a part in that. So good, big credit to her. Yeah, go ahead. And I know all three of those guys that you just mentioned, I can guarantee you Jeff Trailer was the best interview of those three. You Probably know? so. But, I mean, I, yeah, I, I talked to the guy for like. Props to her for hiring who she thought was best for the job and not who, you know, name-wise may have been best for the job. Right. I talked to me and Mallory. Uh, he came by our booth at coaching school and just like 10 minutes talking to the guy. You're like, oh, I, I get it. Like I hundred percent, I hundred percent get you. Yeah. A hundred percent. So um, we'll be obviously talking about them more and more uh, as the season goes on. Okay. Moving on to our last headline, Baylor 31, number 29, BYU 24. Mike Craven, you were at this game. I saw a Baylor team that's looking really, really spicy right now. What are our thoughts on battle of the book? Is that, I feel like that's oh, a, God. Very, that's a very good rivalry. <laughs> are, you, are you trying to yeah, I'm trying to put that one out there for BYU-Baylor because that's going to be a big 12 <laughs> uh, game every single year. There's a lot of BYU fans in attendance. It was a fun game. It was a sellout. I heard that. I think it was the yeah. touch or the, the touchdown or an inter- the interception on Bahannon's first drive. Uh, that was a loud roar. I was like, what's happening here? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a cool atmosphere. It was a, it was a really good time. I think that's the, the prettiest stadium in the state. It's just a, a great place to be, but what impressed me about Baylor is what we've been talking about all season. That offensive line is tremendous. Mm. Uh, they averaged 6.4 yards uh, a rush. It was like closer to, to seven before they knelt the ball a couple times there at the end or whatever. Uh, Abram Smith with 188 yards and three touchdowns. The defensive line was was tremendous. I mean, they gave up, I think, 67 rushing yards and 56 of them came on one, on one run. So uh, they dominated both lines of scrimmage. Uh, Dave Aranda has really just, you know, second year there of the program after only winning two games last year. That turnaround uh, may be the best in the state this year. This is a really good football team. Gary Bohannon doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, he threw mm-hmm. his first interception of the year in, in that game. Um, you know, what impressed me about Jeff Grimes as a, as a play caller is you could tell he could. And I, I think Parker on, on Twitter uh, mentioned this. Um, you know, they could have ran the ball like 80 times, but they still gave Bohannon shots and, and the ability to throw the ball to stay in rhythm and to keep working on that passing game for weeks ahead. So, you know, they got 16 seniors in their, in their out of their starting 22. 16 of them are seniors. A couple of those guys are fifth-year seniors. One of them's a sixth-year senior. So they have a lot of experience. And there was a time in the third quarter where it was 17-14 BYU or 17-14 Baylor. Mm-hmm. BYU was getting back in the game. The fans were getting loud on the BYU side. And it was like, okay, we got a football game here. And then Baylor scored the next 21 points, you know, and that's just, that's a sign of, of a program uh, that knows it's better, that, that has experience, that's been in those positions before, that's lost close games before, and they've learned from it and they played better. And it was an impressive, impressive all around performance by the Bears. And they should be right there in Big 12 championship talk, right? It's Oklahoma State, it's Oklahoma, and then third should be Baylor. And they're, they're right there. They control their destiny. They get Oklahoma at home. They get Texas at home. So the, the biggest two games left on their season are in Waco. It's going to be a hard team to beat because they don't beat themselves. 
they can run the football and they can stop the run. Um, you can win football games in the Big 12 nowadays if you can do those three things really well. And speaking kind of of that, right when they scored, you know, I, I guess it was probably in the middle of the second quarter, Baylor decides to to do an onside kick and they even recover. They threw him completely off guard. So speaking to that, knowing how good that they are, they were confident that they could get it and they, they did. It wasn't even oh, yeah. close. There wasn't even a blue jersey in the area. It was super easy. And they went for it on fourth down three times in the first mm -hmm. quarter. And, you know, it, it didn't work out well for them, actually. You know, they, they could have had a couple, you know, they could have had six more points and had been up 23-7 at halftime had they just elected to kick the field goals. But I like the decisions, even if they didn't work, because yeah. it, sh it shows belief in your players. Your players love that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, look, go get this first down. If you don't get it, our defense is going to stop them. We're going to get the ball back and we're going to go score anyway. You know, and so uh, having that belief as a coaching staff, it trickles down. You know, it's like one of, you know, it just, it trickles down into your player's psyche and they know the coaches believe in you. And uh, they're playing like what we were talking about with UTEP. They're playing above their weight class because they believe in what they're doing so much. And their confidence goes a long way in the sport. Yeah. Jaron uh, Hall was sacked five times. Uh, they couldn't run the ball. I know he had one long run, but that was basically, that was it. That skews the numbers a lot um, in particular for, for him on that long run. Like you mentioned, the defense didn't let, didn't let anything happen. I think that they're going to be kicking themselves over that Oklahoma state loss because this is a team that could, this is a team can, that can absolutely beat Oklahoma. Right. And I think that even if they do, unfortunately they don't have that tiebreaker anymore. So I think they're, they got it. I think they have to hope that Oklahoma state stumbles somewhere. I haven't looked at their schedule, so I don't know where we'll talk about them in a minute, in a minute, but this is a team that, had that one stumble, and I think Oklahoma State's defense is just really that good, had that one stumble against OSU, I think could absolutely beat Oklahoma. And, you know, it'll be an interesting, like, Bedlam still probably will go Oklahoma's way when they when those two teams play. And it, it, it might create, like, a very interesting three-way tie that, unfortunately, right now, as things stand right now, Oklahoma State has the tiebreaker over them in that head-to-head. -head. We'll see, because this could be where you're looking at three one-loss teams in the Big 12, potentially, you know, maybe Oklahoma just goes undefeated anyway, but um, to where where they should be in that conversation, to, to be in the conference championship and to be one of the top teams, because as far as consistency goes, I mean, they're the most consistent team, right? Oklahoma's undefeated, sure, but their offense hasn't looked great. Oklahoma State's offense hasn't looked great. In terms of both sides of the ball, in terms of playing up to their potential and their caliber, it's been Baylor so far the whole Big 12 season. So it's, yeah, I don't know. It's been just a stellar job done by that coaching staff in one year to go from where they were to now being the, one of the best offensive lines in the country, probably the most consistent offense in the Big 12 and getting what they want. So, and Jalen Petrie is a freaking stud, man. Is a dude. He needs like his own camera. And just to, like he's everywhere, he's absolutely everywhere, and it's always the right place. You know, like he he's, he had ten tackles, a sack, he recovered a fumble, and then he had like two and a half, three tackles for loss. Just absolutely everywhere in a in a, in a time where linebacker play is mm -hmm. a lost art. Like yeah. we we just don't see very good linebacker play anymore, especially in the state of Texas. It's just not a position. In in high school, if you're a good linebacker nowadays, you're going to play defensive end and rest the passer or you're going to play safety and help right. out in coverage. You're just not playing linebacker anymore. Petrie is, is kind of a, a throwback guy where, you know, he's kind of a hybrid safety linebacker, that kind of new age linebacker that can really run like DeMarvion Overshone and some of the other guys that we've seen take to the position. 
but he's a beast, man, and he is really good, and that defense is pretty solid. I will say this. The secondary is susceptible to big mm. plays. And BYU threw the ball all over the field yesterday. And so that defensive line creating pressure kind of becomes their best defense against the pass because the secondary still still can kind of allow the big plays there, and they did against BYU a few times. Yeah. All right, moving on, getting into our power poll. That was the fun stuff. This is the not fun stuff. Starting off the power poll, Marshall 49, North Texas 40, or 21. Sorry, I give them too much credit there. Uh, so I did not see this game. Uh, I was at Munster Winthorst uh, Friday night. Mike Craven was. And I remember looking down at my phone, and I saw 42-7 at halftime. And I texted Craven. I was like, you know, I hate saying, you know, speculating about like, oh, this is, this is guys aren't playing hard or whatever. But I looked at that score. And I just texted him. I was like, did North, did North Texas quit? Like, I just, I had to, I had to know what was the body language like? And you texted me something that I did not think could make that make me feel even worse. You said it doesn't even look like they started. <laughs> and <laughs> did you see uh, how many penalties they racked up at the end of the game? 17, for 161 <sighs> yards. I mean, that, you were there. that is a team well, yeah. that, that mental mistakes don't try. Right. You, you put, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah. Uh, Craven, you were there. What was that? I mean, that had to be a depressing scene at Apogee. Yeah. I mean, they had seven penalties before they had ran seven plays. Uh, you know, and, and when you asked me, when you were like, did they quit? You know, you got to start before you can quit. Like you can't, like they never, they never started, you know, like right. they never arrived enough to quit. Um, you know, we were joking in the press box. There was probably more people at Allen didn't Geyer. Uh, that there was at that North Texas Marshall game. Uh, and that says everything you need to know about the state of the program and didn't, you know, I, I don't know what the future can be for Seth Luttrell there, because even if he is a great coach, that locker room doesn't believe in it. And, yeah. you know, we've talked about UTEP. We've talked about Baylor. We've talked about UTSA. Those are locker rooms that believe what are, what is happening is going to improve them and give them wins. You can tell that this team just has no belief. They're not disciplined. They don't play hard. They don't tackle well. Um, they don't run to the football. They don't pick up their quarterback when he gets knocked down to the ground. You know, there's just there's just no real sense of belief or urgency there, and it's hard to watch. That's as, that's as, that's as plain as I can put it. It is hard to watch the product that is happening at North Texas. And this is a team that won nine games a year for two, two years in a row. They yeah. won nine games under this coach. Um, they haven't won nine games since then, you know, like, and so – um they're I think they're nine and 18 in their last 27 or something like that and it's just with SMU on the rise with UTEP on the rise with UTSA on the rise all of those peer programs right are getting better and better North Texas is getting worse to me that signals a change has to be made sooner rather than later yeah I think Matthew Bruni tweeted out uh another depressing stat UNT has more losses by 21 plus 10 than FBS wins six in uh, since 2019. And they've played 25 games against FBS teams in that span. And the, the, the thing that's most alarming, which is why I think that you just can't, this can't continue, right? I just don't, I just don't think this Seth Luttrell experiment, I think it's done because these are his players. These are firmly his recruits. They haven't recruited badly. Right. And again, you can you can say like, oh, you have to, you know, two, four, seven people would probably use this as a as a way to slight two, four, seven or a way to slight 
recruiting thing. Those guys know what they're doing when they say that UNT has a good recruiting class, right? They know what they're doing when they say that, yeah, compared to the rest of CUSA for a couple of years, they put up the best recruiting class. That's development at that point. At that point, it's the staff putting those guys in positions to become better players. And if they're not, that's not a slight on the recruiting rankings or the, the, the scouts who do this for a living because everybody unanimously agrees that, okay, yeah, they're doing pretty good in this recruiting thing. It then becomes a part of what the staff is doing. And, you know, it's, again, it's looking more and more like that a great G5 quarterback and NFL talent receivers ballooned what was probably a mediocre roster over the rest of the, the rest of the way. And yeah, I, it's looking again, I didn't expect it to get this bad. I thought they would compete better against Marshall. Didn't think they would win, but it was 20. The final score was a very, 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 very friendly to what Marshall probably could have did. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Marshall took their foot all the way out of the car, not even off the gas. (laughs) Right. Like they, they just go, they just ghost rided it. Like there was, there was some kindness extended from the Marshall sideline uh, to North Texas. And, you know, again, North Texas scores a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter, like they did against Missouri to make it not look as bad, but watching both of those games, there's just, I don't, who's the best playmaker on the team. You take away Deandre Torrey and it's like, who, who can make a difference at wide receiver at tight end who can make a difference in the secondary at linebacker at defensive end. They just don't look like a team that's capable uh, of winning football games. And we were talking about early in the season, you know, like, would UTEP be favored against North Texas? It's not even a question, yeah. anymore, right? Like North that. Texas is the worst FBS team in this state right now. And I, I don't even know if, if there's a, a close second, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yep. But at, least Rice, at least Rice has like academic like <laughs> situations that like keep them from being really good, right? Like there's, right. there's known handicaps at Rice. That doesn't exist in Denton. And you're 30 minutes away from the best recruiting city in the world mm-hmm. you know so you should be better smu getting good shouldn't just completely eliminate everything in north texas and right now it does seem because i remember when sunny dykes first got there north texas beat the brakes off of smu mm-hmm. and that first sunny D- and so like you just watch the trajectories of both of those programs since that game and it's an x yes you know? and so that just can't happen it just absolutely cannot happen north texas should not you north texas should not be this bad considering where they get to recruit right we'll see where they uh where they finish uh finish season because it does not get necessarily easier for them uh Mm -hmm. heading to the end moving on to one of those uh potentially close second teams uh troy 31 texas state 28 this one's simple don't turn the ball over when you have a chance to close the game brady mcbride was 19 to 24 for 247 and three touchdowns at one point and then in the fourth quarter he throws back to back to back interceptions. One of those goes for a pick six that gives Troy the lead. That's the game. Texas State firmly, contr- after the first couple drives where they had, hand, couldn't handle the pass rush, they did okay. Brady McBride hit a couple deep shots. And then in the fourth quarter, he turns the ball over and they lose. And that's that's literally the game right there. I can't even say they got out coached. I can't even say they got outplayed. They played fine. It wasn't great. It wasn't pretty. They played good enough to win. Good teams find ways to win. Bad teams find ways to lose. That's that's the moral of the story. And I don't know. This one is not very complicated for me. This one. 
the reason I say North Texas is kind of alone as the worst team in, in the state is because at least Texas State like tries. They you know, keep like, games close. Right. I mean, they've won two twice in overtime. Um, they stayed in that game with Troy throughout, you know, th- even with the turnovers in the fourth quarter, they, they were still kind of picking each other up and, and playing mm-hmm. complimentary football. The sidelines look like there's some energy there. Like it looks like a team at least playing. Right. Um, and, you know, I, if you take away the fourth quarter, I was pretty impressed with how Texas State played. I, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, after that first and second drive, when they kind of figured out how, how to protect, I thought they played hard. I thought they played pretty well defensively. Uh, I thought McBride looked really good for three quarters. And so there's some building blocks from that game. I don't think any of us thought they were going to win that game. And so you, you kind of, if you just showed us that score last Wednesday, mm-hmm. you'd be like, yeah, well, you know, that's a, that's decent. That's okay. That's, that's a step in the right direction. At least it's not a step backwards. Right. And uh, unfortunately that's just where Texas state is right now as a program. Right. Uh, I think that was one other thing that I mentioned about the, I was going to mention about the run game, but basically I mean, they have three talented running backs and like Brock Sturgis was doing pretty well and he had 11 touches. I think he needs more. I, I, I know it's against Spavadol's DNA um, to, to run the ball a little bit more. I know they lean run about 53% of the time, but I think it needs to be upped a little bit more because McBride, somebody who can make throws, but maybe somebody who just not shouldn't shoulder the bulk of the offense, especially, you know, you're trying to salt away the game. And like I said, you throw three picks and one of them becomes a pick six. Like, you know, I think the running backs can handle a little bit more. Um, yeah, I don't know. So that's just kind of that. He's had some fumbling stuff. You know, like he's clearly the most talented running back on that roster, but he struggled to hang on to the ball. And I, I think that's kind of cost him that number one running back spot where we're going to give you 20 carries. I, I sure. think there's a little hesitance to kind of give him that many carries because he has put the ball on the turf a lot. Sure, that's fair. Uh, moving on to the other side of the – in inter, uh, state blowout UTSA we mentioned at UTSA 45 rice zero I'm trying to parse how good I think UTSA is versus how much to criticize rice because I get it UTSA is very good I'm not taking anything away from them but rice has regressed that that's to me that's also says that because right this is the fourth year under Mike Bloomgren what do they do well and this is the type of loss that to me shouldn't happen versus a conference opponent, right? We could be, again, we're talking about UTSA who's having a transcendent year, but if you're looking at just overall projections of where Rice probably should be, this kind of score shouldn't happen. This is UTSA versus UIW. This is UTSA versus Lamar. And you mentioned the academic recruiting things. I get it. I totally get it. But Mike Bloomgren is supposed to be a guy that understands that coming in from Stanford, right? And they're they're getting the break speed off them by an interstate uh, in-state rival. Like, I don't know. This is they've regressed. I don't, it, last year is look at the Marshall win last year and the certain little optimistic things that we kind of saw. Just don't look like they're there. I'm looking at their schedule and I'm just like, I don't see a team that's improved or where they need to be in a year four under a head coach. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I, I try to give Rice as many breaks as I can because I know it is a hard place to recruit. Even if you are in Houston, it's just it's just a tough it's just a tough place to recruit. I I've never, and this is a bigger conversation than just the game yesterday. I don't know what success looks like at Rice, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure. completely sure that the powers to be at Rice even care much about football success. I mean, I could argue throughout my lifetime, anytime Rice has gotten good, they've gone out of their way to not be, you know, to like 
kind of calm those storms a little bit. We're a, we're a school, we're an education institution. We, we're not, we're going to worry too much about the football team. So I do think it's a hard, thankless job. But yeah, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be getting shut out and blown out by 40 plus points, um, you know, by UTSA either. So I do think yesterday they just ran into a chainsaw. You sure. know, UTSA had played a couple close games. And, and I think all the message all week was, we're better than this football team. We're not going to repeat the UNLV performance. And so I think they just caught a really good team at a really bad time. And it just got away from them really quickly, but they don't have an identity offensively. Like, you know, they don't know who their quarterback should be. They don't have, you know, a good running game. There's not any wide receivers that threaten you at all. And so, I mean, you got to have something to hang your hat on. And right now, Rice doesn't have that. Yeah. And like looking back on, you know, obviously David Bailiff at time ended there wasn't the time ended wasn't great, but you kind of see what they maybe could be. Right. I don't think they'll never be what you I, I just don't think they'll ever be what UTSA is right in terms of reaching those ceilings. But this is a team that I don't think it's out of the question to say, yeah, they should be around five to seven wins, occasionally punching eight, ten. Like, you know, they had one, they had two years under Bailiff, I think, of 10 wins, uh, a couple years of, of eight. And then you're kind of hovering around just because, you know, the natural recruiting ebbs and flows of, of, their, of their institution. But again, we're looking for the next step forward. We're looking for the, 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 the signs of progress. And we're just not seeing it at this point. I mean, they want to be a running team. They can't run the ball. Their defense isn't good this year either. They have no quarterback. I don't know. <laughs> And in, and in modern football, to get good quickly, you need to hit the transfer portal. Yeah. And that's hard for Rice. Sure. You can't go to the JUCO ranks like UTEP does, right? Nope. You, can't, you can't go raid those ranks. The grad transfers have to be of a certain ilk, right? Like You just you basically have to go st- uh, Stanford or Vanderbilt. Like <laughs> It's just a hard you – you have to do it through high school recruiting, and high school recruiting can be fickle at the level of UT, right? We'll talk about Texas later. They recruit – you know, great. And they, they're not playing very well. So it's hard at that level to only really rely on recruiting the high school ranks, but because of that institution, they basically only get to recruit the high school ranks. And so it's really hard to just kind of like, Hey, we got a hole at safety. Let's go to the transfer portal and fill that, or let's go to the Juco ranks and fill that. It's just, it's just a hard job to really make a turnaround. And it's hard to improve the roster in any type of speed way. Sure, sure. Moving on to Texas Tech, 41-14 over Kansas. Look, my goal was straight up. I didn't want to have to turn this game on. And I looked over, and it was, what, 31 nothing, 24 nothing. at one point. I was like, cool, don't have to turn this game on. Good job. I, I don't know. Like that was, That's all I have to say about this game, really. I don't know what I can take away from it either. Yeah, I mean, they, they seem to stay pretty healthy. And like we talked about last week, success was just putting that team away and not making it interesting. So you could play your backups, kind of have a glorified, you know, week off or whatever. And, and it feels like Texas Tech was able to do that. I'm going to try to not rewatch that game. Um, and so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I don't, I don't, Kansas is one of those, like you just can't, I mean, it's an FCS football program, right? I mean, you just mm-hmm. can't, you just can't take anything from it at all. Yeah. The only real news I noticed was Taj Brooks still out um, for them. I believe, I don't think he was dressed out. I didn't see any news about him even being in uniform. So just kind of hoping, maybe, hopefully this was a game where they were just like, we don't need to brush it. We're just going to hold on to Sir Roderick Thompson and, and let these guys do what they do. So hopefully he can come back uh, healthy for them as they kind of push uh, towards the end of the year. 
moving on to the power pole two. Let's see who's up next. TCU. Okay. Oklahoma 52, TCU 31. TCU's defensive line got destroyed. Kennedy Brooks went off. Zach Evans did not play. Um, I should, I should note. TCU's play calling baffles me, just straight up baffles me. So it was, it was 14, seven Oklahoma uh, early second quarter and TCU had a fourth and one inside the 30, I believe inside Oklahoma's 30. So they go for it. Of course. Cool. I'm cool with that. They called a read. So, so on third and one, they had a uh, dug and run, no gain. Okay, cool. They come back with a dug and run on fourth and one, a read option, Bunch formation to the right side. Duggan runs to the bunch formation, a.k.a. where the athletic part of Oklahoma's defense is, gets chased to the edge, and because of the fact that the, the, the corners can come down, force him to the edge, it allows the uh, weak side linebacker to traverse all the way around the field and get to him. And I'm like, what was the – were you thinking that he was going to outrun the corners on the edge from Oklahoma? Were you maybe hoping for some better blocking? I don't, I don't even think that was the case because they were running a route, so it might have been some type of RPO action. And he got stopped, and they could turn the ball over, and Oklahoma goes down and scores. That, like, it was that type of game to where Oklahoma left the door open just enough to where I was like, uh, I can't turn away, and TCU couldn't capitalize on it obviously Caleb Williams started for Oklahoma they looked really good on offense probably as crisp as they've been but there were moments there for TCU to make this a game and sure no Zach Evans but Kendra Miller played really well Quentin Johnson is still that dude he had over 100 uh, 200 yards receiving and the consistency of play calling was just all over the place Max Duggan played great 366 five touchdowns and I'm watching the defense is what it is. I'm not even going to criticize it. it. It's, it's bad. It sucks. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, you know, what else can we say about that? The defense is here, but it was how inconsistent the rhythm of the offense was. I think that was most disturbing to me. I will rip the defense. Go uh, for it. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, if you gain 529 yards and score 31 points on the road, like that's fine. Like that, that's, mm-hmm. that's enough. Like that, that should be, especially when your head coach is known for coaching defense. Like that's all you could ever ask for. If you, if we went and asked TCU fans from four or five years ago, Hey, we'll give you 31 points on the road and 500 yards of total offense at mm-hmm. Oklahoma. You'd be like, yeah, sure. Sign me up. You know, like we'll win a lot of those football games. The fact that the defense has fallen this far, you know, I mean, they, like they Oklahoma averaged 12.8 yards per pass, you know, like that's not per completion. That's, that's per pass. Right. Right. And then, you know, yards rushing 6.6, you know, you, you combine those together, you know, you're in second and two, no matter what you're calling at all times. Um, so that, the defensive line's not good. The linebackers aren't playing as well as we thought they would. Uh, the secondary's in shambles. Some of that's because of injuries and guys being able to move or having to move around and stuff like that. But um, I, I'm, I, I think I'm the opposite of you. I, I don't have much complaints about the offense. Yeah, there was some weird play calling and some times where they maybe squandered some opportunities. Mm-hmm. If you give up 50 points, you're not going to win many football games no matter what your offense does. And so until Gary Patterson can fix his side of the football, this is who TCU is. Sure. And I think that – I think for me, I think I'm just, I'm just resigned to the fact that their defense is bad and just like crazy. this – Right, exactly, which is just insane. But it's just like that's kind of where I'm at. Where it's just like, yeah, they, it's like it's like tech from a couple of years ago. Where it's like, you know, you, everybody's complaining like, 
you know, oh, they didn't score 60 or whatever. It's like, yeah, their defense did. It's like, yeah, but their defense is going to give up 60. Like, it's fine. Like, you know, like I'm kind of, it's it's crazy how that's where I'm at with TCU for this season, at least. The fact that we're mentioning a TCU defense alongside a Texas Tech defense. Yes. <laughs> Gary Patterson as the head coach is everything that you need to know. I do appreciate that they were willing to uh, uh, just tackle Marvin Mims and just take the 15 yards because uh, he he had like three DPIs against him. It was like, we're not just just go down like there were so many passes where Oklahoma's like, they're just going to give us 15 free yards. Just go deep to Marvin Mims. And every single time they pulled Marvin Mims down, it's like, yeah, we'll take that. You know, what I don't understand about the defense in uh, Texas is kind of the same way. Yeah. You got to take away something. True. You got to pick something. <laughs> Stack nine in the box and just, you know, get, right. let them try something deep. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and both times Caleb Williams has played quarterback now against Texas and TCU, neither defense has forced him into doing anything. I mean, they, yeah. instead of, you know, like, hey, we may give up 500 yards passing or we may give up 500 yards rushing, both defenses have decided, well, we'll just give up 250 of each. And that just just seems like such a weird strategy to me. Like what happened to like forcing somebody to pick one and and beat you with it? I I don't know. I mean, a death by a thousand cuts is still a death. So I I don't, I just, I just don't get what the game plan was going in. Yeah. It was a prey and hopefully they'll turn the ball over or something. So uh, that was basically Uh, moving on to, we mentioned UTEP, of course, bowl eligible six and one minors, Uh, Texas. This was an interesting one. Uh, let me see. Number 12, Oklahoma State, 32. Number 25, that's probably going to change very soon. Number 25, Texas, 24. Oklahoma State's defense is legit, but I think second half Texas offense is a thing. Bad. It's, it's, it's really, they're really starting to struggle. Defense, you mentioned it, horses, they don't have the horses. They're going to struggle. I still have, I definitely have issues about uh, how they made Oklahoma State's pretty shaky offense look at times. But second half, you mentioned it last week too. They ran out of gas on defense. They're not there yet. I don't think they've been there since probably. I'm trying to think 2010. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of the last, like there was one year under Todd Orlando where they were kind of okay. And that was kind of it until that, since that national title uh, uh, finals team, the, the second half offense just kind of fell off. I don't know. That was, again, they ran up against a really good defense, but they were, what was it? 17. Uh, I'm trying to think of what was it? It was 17, three at one point. Uh, then of course, unfortunately Thompson throws a pick six um, and gets them back in it, but they were moving the ball on a pretty good defense. And then they just stopped second half. It just ended. I don't get it. Yeah. Both weeks. Texas has come out with a really good game plan and then failed to make adjustments to the adjustments. And that, yeah. that's a big part of football is adjusting to the adjustments, right? They, they played two really good defensive coordinators. Oklahoma State's defense coordinators, tremendous. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, you could just tell Oklahoma State came out in the second half with a different look and different ideas, and Texas could not counter them. But let's, like, let's look at the fourth quarter. Let's, mm-hmm. just, let's, let's go through this here. Oklahoma State 16, Texas 0. Oklahoma State, 170 total yards. Texas, one. Six rushes, rushes, average 0.2 yards a rush, and that's with the best college football running back in the country. I think we can all agree on that one. Um, Zero passing yards. uh, One penalty, so that's not too bad. 
they ran eight plays total in the fourth quarter. I, I think they went out or they went four, uh, three and out like seven times, seven out of eight drives or something like that in the second half. I mean, it was just something, something insane. And so, you know, the problem here for Texas is that offensive line is so bad that the running game becomes Bajon. If they block it right, mm-hmm. or it should be a four or five yard game, Bajon Robinson's good enough to make it 10. Yes. But if they don't block it right at all, like nobody can do, you know, so it's either like zero yards or like 10 yards. You know, they're rarely in second and five. They're rarely in third and three. And mm-hmm. Jason Thompson, for as good as he can be, we, he's not hes not somebody who's going to win a lot of football games in third and eight, third sure. and nine, third and ten, especially behind that offensive line. So we've talked about this before. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on on the Hudson card, Casey Thompson argument. With mm-hmm. that offensive line looking the way that it does, it doesn't matter. They're both going to struggle. And yesterday was the first time I've seen Casey Thompson see ghosts. Mm-hmm. You know, like when coaches talk about how yeah, there is pressure, but there's also times where there's not, and our quarterback is is creating it on his own. And yesterday was the first time I've seen Casey Thompson see ghosts in the in the passing game and force some throws, not just throw it out of bounds. Because that pick six in the first half was a heartbreaker, right? Yeah. I mean, that that ended everything right there. You if you even if you just score a field goal, it's 20 to 3. Oklahoma State has no momentum. You keep playing. All of a sudden, it's 17 to 10. Then it's 17-13, and then Oklahoma State gets the ball to start the second half. I mean, it just slowly went away from them. And, uh, yeah, we're, we've also seen just the roster deficiencies at Texas. They they have about 40, 45 players that they feel comfortable playing, and you need 60 to 65, 70 to, to play four quarters of football. It gets the Oklahoma State team that none of us are giving enough credit to. That's a top 10 uh, football team probably going into next week. Sure. I think that defense, like I mentioned, that defense is absolutely elite. I think the, the, you mentioned that pick six and kind of how that swung the game. So here's some context of that. So Jalen Warren is a dude, right? They're Oklahoma state's running back 33 carries 193. If they, if Texas goes down and scores and that's 20 to three, he doesn't finish with 33 carries, right? right? They're pressing with Spencer Sanders, who was 19 of 32, a touchdown, a pick, didn't really play. He hit some throws, right? So he's throwing more. That's probably increasing the 40 to 45 passing attempts. You're, you might be forcing him to make more mistakes. You take away the running game to a certain extent because they're chasing. Game completely swings in terms of what Oklahoma State feels comfortable doing. The defense probably gets on the field a little bit uh, more, and so they get a little, maybe get a little bit tired heading into the, the, the third and fourth quarter. And, yeah, like you mentioned, game just completely changes. The other thing I want to hint on is I think this game officially put the nail in the Bijan Heisman discussion. Like it wasn't his fault. He finished with over hundred yards rushing, but when you're a team that has three losses now, you need to be putting up otherworldly numbers. And again, it's not his fault because he shouldn't be getting 35 touches every single game if they don't need him to. Um, He's putting up great numbers. He's averaging still about six, seven yards a carry. But if you look at the Heisman history, those the teams that have three, four losses finish towards the bottom of the, the top 25 or unranked. You're looking at Tim Tebow's 25 25 year where he threw and ran for 25 touchdowns each. You're looking at RG3. You're looking at the, uh, Johnny Manziel. You're looking at transcendent generational players for those programs. And this season, talent wise, I think Bijan Robinson is that, but production wise, He's not quite there yet, and that's not a shot to him. That's more of a shot to this team because he's putting up a Heisman caliber season, 
that is not going to get him to probably not even get him to New York at this point with how the season's going for them. And those guys you mentioned are quarterbacks. Sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. The last, I mean, Derek Henry, right. You have to go to 2000 yards rushing to get started to get noticed and, uh, and shout out to, to Mallory's guy, Kenneth Walker, right. That's, you gotta be so, having leading the way for a breakout program to having a breakout season. Mm-hmm. Um, get and yeah. exactly to get recognized as a running back. And so, you know, and especially now that we're starting to see guys like CJ Stroud, Matt Crowell, Bryce Young start to really separate themselves Unfortunately, he's going to get lost in that conversation now because, you know, when Texas starts to lose games, you know, they're going to get media coverage, but in terms of national recognition, eh, they're going to start to fade away. So um, obviously he is a Heisman caliber running back, but as far as the campaign this season goes, it's starting to look like, I think this game cost him the discussion. I don't think he's in the discussion anymore. And that's not a slight to him. Next next up after the off weeks, the trip to Baylor. And uh, if your defensive line isn't very good and your offensive line isn't very good, that's Mm -hmm. not the team you want to play against. And so four and four is a likely possibility for the Longhorns after, you know, what we thought was a team kind of turning a corner only a couple weeks ago. And and Sark deserves some of the blame. I mean, some Mm -hmm. of the play calling in the second half was not good. Yeah. Uh, I could argue the pick six play call was a poor play call. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, he he owns some of that as well, and it's just a, it's a program right now that has to figure out who they are going into next year. Like this year is kind of shot. The the goal now is who are the guys that we're going to really build this program around. Where are the holes that we need to fill in the transfer market? I think we're going to see a lot more young guys playing for Texas over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, because this game probably also knocked them out of the Big Twelve title race as well. Mm-hmm. So. Moving on to the power poll, Houston was off this weekend. We mentioned they have a big game coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, first, they got to look to East Carolina this week, but they have a great, uh, potentially great game against SMU in a couple weeks. We mentioned Baylor, Baylor beat BYU, Texas A&M. Let's see, where's this score? 35-14 over Missouri. The game plan was the game plan, and yeah. I'm so happy to see that. Oh, my gosh. Third, let me see. I'm trying to figure out. Combined 36 carries total for Devonta Chan and Isaiah Spiller. They absolutely just run over Missouri. There was a third and 15, I think, on uh, on the t- inside the 20, and they ran it and scored. Like, <laughs> it was third and 15. It's like, yeah, just run it, get some yards, and they end up scoring on it. Like, that was that's the game plan, right? Let these two running backs carry the load, especially in a game where you should control the game pretty much pretty easily. Zach Calzada didn't play great, but he didn't need to. And there's the game. You win. You get out there with an impressive win. You shut down a pretty bad offense. You run on a pretty bad defense keep the good things going yeah i mean they averaged 6.7 yards a rush you know and, and they they ran the ball 42 times so you know I, that that it it baffles my brain that this wasn't the game plan against colorado <laughs> that this wasn't the game plan against arkansas that this wasn't the game plan against mississippi state and i imagine if you truth serum jimbo fisher he would take all the blame for those losses because if he called games like this they might be undefeated and in the college football player, I mean, even if they lost one of those games, even if they lost to Mississippi State and then turn around and beat Alabama, and even with a one-loss A&M team with a win over Alabama is in those discussions. And uh, so, you know, yeah, it's just kind of a weird a weird thing that happened there. Uh, but that offensive line is getting better, and I, I think the reason it's getting better is because they're starting to just move forward. They're not having to think so much. It's just like go block the guy in front of you and let our tailbacks do their thing. Uh, the Isaiah Spiller, Devon A-Chain backfield is the best running back duo in the state. And that's saying a lot because there are some great running back duos in the state. Mm-hmm. Like 
the, the running back situation in the state of Texas right now is incredible. It's like a throwback to a, to a better time when football wasn't just basketball on grass. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, A&M's defense is really good. Running game is great. They did what they were supposed to do against a, a Missouri team that is just, is just not, not a good team, not an SEC caliber team right now. Yeah. I think uh, so many times this year we're watching, you mentioned the running back talent. So many times I feel like Jeff Fisher watching teams. Cause I'm just like, run the ball. Like, just like <laughs> I feel like a coach in 1996, just like run the, run the ball, you know, like it's like, why are you throwing so much? There's too much passing going on now, but it's like, you know, it's, it was, it was always going to be a reset year for a lot of these programs at quarterback, right? You lose Kellen Mond, you lose Sam Ellinger, uh, and you're, and you're kind of, and you're losing Shane Bichelle. You're turning a new leaf with a lot of these programs and they're kind of, they're, they're, they're opening the way for these running backs, these talented running backs. And like you mentioned it, why weren't they using them more? I don't know. Like this isn't, <laughs> it, it didn't seem that hard. And I think that when the, especially when guys like Jimbo Fisher are in charge, I think they outsmart themselves a little bit, right? Because like, it's not, we're here sitting on a podcast, none of us have coaching credentials, and we could see what the best strategy was. And I think that Jimbo Fisher coached himself into a little bit of a pretzel, just trying like, ah, you know, I, Zach Calzada can handle exactly what we were given Haynes King or exactly what we were given Kellen Mond. I think we can continue to keep this game plan going exactly the same way. And sometimes it just simplify <laughs> simplify and I, I think what they think is well if some idiots on a podcast know that the defensive the coordinator other, knows the other team knows that and like now we need a break tendency or whatever and texas did it yesterday they're second and one on that last drive they throw like a screen pass out to xavier worthy on second and one and then you got two casey thompson runs and the game's over and Bajon robinson didn't even touch the freaking ball yeah and it's like what what are we doing here and that was like you're saying it's just overthinking. It's letting the defense dictate what you're doing. Sometimes you just have to go, look, these are our best players. Like, we're just going to do what we do. Be-, you know, like that. Nobody thought about, like, giving Earl Campbell 40 carries a game, right? Like, right. this is a new thing where it's like, we got to, you know, distribute the ball and we can't. No, sometimes your best players are your best players. You just give them the football. And since A&M has started to do that, they've now beaten Alabama and they've now destroyed Missouri. And they look like the team we all thought they'd be going into the year. Yep. Um, speaking of Mississippi State, they lost 49 to nine against Alabama. So like that just looks even more like a, just a wild aberration of a <laughs> loss. Uh, Will Rogers had three interceptions and no touchdowns in that game. So, yeah, it definitely is. Uh, that's going to be looked at as probably just like a Arkansas is what it is. Right. That game's always weird between them and Arkansas looks pretty solid. And but that, that Mississippi State loss is going to look like the one where you're just going to wonder what in the world happened there. Uh, moving on in the power pole, number two, SMU mentioned them. They got a game against Houston coming up in two weeks, but they got to not overlook Tulane. We'll talk more about that this week. And number one, UTSA rank them. We mentioned they're ranked on the coaching poll. I have not seen the AP poll yet. I do not think. Yeah, it is I've been out. checking for it. I don't see it either yet. Yeah, so it'll probably drop immediately after this show is over. <laughs> Let's hope that they are ranked in that because if the coaches are seeing it, that means the poll voters should damn well be seeing it. So I have to admit something. The power, you know, I'm a UTSA grad. Everybody knows that, right? Yes. So when when AM lost and Texas had already lost to Arkansas, and you know Baylor wasn't yet what we thought Baylor was going to be, it was like, well. I can put UTSA on top of the power pole because they're undefeated and, you know, they'll lose a game or two and then I'll mm-hmm. take down the power pole and like the bit will be over or whatever, but they keep winning and they keep <laughs> winning good teams and they keep winning at like a, a, at this rate where like, 
UTSA is going to stay on top of the damn power pole for like 10 or 11, 12 weeks, maybe. And people right. are going to just like, you know, it's like, I can't, what are you going to do at this point? I'm stuck. I can't, yep. I can't move them down for winning 45 to nothing against Wright, <laughs> right? So, you know, Baylor, I think may be the deserving team to kind of be, you know, on top of the power pole with how they played and who they played and stuff like that. Sure. You can't, you can't move the Roadrunners right now. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're undefeated. They're cruising towards the conference championship and they probably deserve to be number one. I mean, you got La Tech, UTEP, Southern Miss, UAB, North Texas. I see all but one game they should be favored yeah. in, probably. I mean, even and when we get close to that UAB game, probably favored in that one because that one's still three weeks away and we could be looking at a, you know, a 10 and 0, 9 and 0 team. So, like, you know, we'll see. I don't know. That's 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 insane to think about, but it's possible. 10 and 2 feels like the basement. That's nuts, right? right. Like, right. That's, that's insane. That's that's insanity to be like, yeah, 10 and 2 would be a disappointment. Like, right. It's like, oh, they let those, they let, they let that uh, UTEP game get away. You know, it's like, <laughs> what? Yep. yep. So, Oh man, it's a, it's a wild year, but uh, yeah, that's it for us. We'll be back Wednesday. Uh, we'll talk more about uh, this week's previews. Mike, what's it looking like you're going to be at this weekend? I am moving this upcoming week. Oh, that's right. No, yeah, that's right. You're coming up here. So. I, am, I am on Saturday, just going to do like, just going to watch as much football, you know, just on the TV, which I think may be even better for the job. Right. Cause you can like, sure. concentrate on all the games that would be driving. Uh, and then Sunday, the uh u-haul band shows up so yeah me and mallory figure out what to do with that so (laughs) maybe i'll come up with the u-haul van maybe i just back out and just let all my stuff go there and just never show up who knows who knows knows what's happening yeah we'll figure out what to do if we do a saturday game a saturday saturday night recap or we me and mallory do one on sunday so we'll figure that out yeah i was driving up this week to go to the north texas game and i'm entering dallas and Mm -hmm. usually my stomach drops the same way that you would at like a roller coaster. Anytime that happens, anytime I come downtown Dallas, you see the skyline, you're like, ah. my stomach turns, I feel a little sick. And then I start immediately putting a countdown in my head of when I get to leave. This, this, this last weekend, I realized this is the last time I'm coming to Dallas with a timeline that I can put in my head. Like now that's just life. That's just like what this is I your home live. now. And I don't know how I backed myself into this corner. My friendship with Greg <laughs> Tepper has really cost me a whole lot, a whole lot. And uh, yeah, this week's going to be tough for me. I'm not, yeah. not going to lie. It's going to be gonna... a very existential week for me. We're going to be wondering after you move up here. It's like, man, Craven's covering UT a lot, a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Craven just goes to every single UT uh, game now. It's wild. <laughs> Uh, Brian Davis and I just at every single press conference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, all righty. Well, that's it for us. We'll be back Wednesday. You guys take care.